He's been going to the gym. He's been going to the gym a lot. I mean, with pretty consistent regularity. He didn't go every day, but he goes most days. He's been going to the gym a lot and spending a lot of time there. And he just can't understand why he hasn't lost weight and gotten into better shape. He just can't figure that out. Well, actually, he goes to the gym every day, but he doesn't spend any time on the treadmill or with the weights or on the elliptical. He goes to the, he goes to the gym every day and he, and he hangs out at the snack bar at the gym. And in fact, he eats good bit of snacks while he's there at the snack bar at the gym. And he can't figure out why his physical condition is unchanged. That's a pretty easy answer, isn't it? We know what's wrong. We know why it's not working. I want to suggest to you that the same thing can happen to us spiritually. We can go to church, if you will, and return home unchanged. We can engage in religious activity. We can come to worship, such as we have today. And when we go out the door, nothing is different. Nothing is changed. To church and back unchanged. We want to make that our study for a few minutes this morning. We stop just briefly to add words of welcome to those that Gordon already extended. We're glad that you're here to our visitors. We're very grateful you've come. We want you to come back whenever you can at every opportunity. And we're always open to your questions if you have any about what you see or hear. I want to comment upon the the front of the auditorium here. It's under construction. Uh, It's not finished. There's a good bit more work to be done. But uh, Gordon and Tim have spent a lot of time uh, last Thursday and Friday and part of Saturday working up here and, and it's going to be really neat when they get done. Uh, I wouldn't want you to think this is the finished product, but it's well underway and we, we appreciate uh, their efforts in that regard. To church and back unchanged. To start with, I want to look at the case study that Jesus described in the text that Matt read for us just a few minutes ago. Let's read it one more time. In Luke chapter 18, beginning verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'll tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, as you read that, notice this phrase right here. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. This man was the publican, right, the tax collector. He went down to his house justified rather than the other. The other guy was the Pharisee, right? And it's very clear to see here that he's saying, that the Pharisee was not justified. He, he engaged in this act of religious service, but to no avail. He was not justified when he went to his own house, returned to his own house. And I want to suggest to you the same sort of thing could happen to us. It's possible that we could go to church and come back again and not be changed in any way. Now, our question is, how could that happen? How could it happen that you could... And participate, for instance, in a worship service this day, on this Lord's Day. How could it be so that you could come and return home again and be an unchanged person? Well, I, th- I think we actually know some of the answers anyway. We may not know all the answers, but I think we can pinpoint what some of the problems would be. First of all, we need to understand that worship is not merely a physical act, but it has to be engaged in from the heart. 
Remember what Jesus said about our motive in worship. Our motive has to be right. He said in John chapter 4, verse 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Our worship to God must be in spirit and in truth. We, we talk a lot about the truth that our worship has to be according to the way God has revealed it in his word. Certainly true. Maybe we don't emphasize often enough that it's got to come from the heart. If it's not from the heart, it will not be acceptable. And so our motive in worship is critically important. And if our motive is not right, we could come and go back home again and be an unchanged person. What might be some of those wrong motives when we come together for worship? Well, maybe it's because what we're really striving to do is please someone else. I can almost imagine this. I don't think you'll have to stretch your imagination too hard to imagine. Here's this old boy. And there's this girl that he's real interested in. I mean, he is particularly interested in her and he'd like to gain her affections. Uh, and so he's coming to church because she goes to church and he wants to really impress her. Maybe also he'd like to impress her parents. You know, it's important to get on the good side of the parents. And so he comes. It's not about worshiping God. It's about pleasing that girl or pleasing her parents. Or maybe here's a husband who really doesn't care much about religious service at all, but his wife does, and he wants to please her. I mean, you know, it, you know, what's the old expression we hear so often anymore? Happy wife, happy life. He wants to keep his wife happy. And so he goes to church on Sunday, but it's not really what he wants to do. He's just trying to please her, keep her off his back, if you will. Or here's, here's a teenager who has just developed a terrible attitude and rebelliousness in his whole demeanor. And he's here, he's sitting there in the pew and he's acting very disinterested and distracted. But he's here because he's got to keep his parents happy. And his parents are going to really be on him if he doesn't come to church with them on Sunday. So he comes, but he's only here because they said so. He's not here for any other reason than that. Maybe here's another guy who comes to services, but... His intention, he's trying to please maybe important business connections. Years ago, we had a friend who went through dental school, graduated. And in his last semester of dental school, there was a, there was a course that he took. I think they were all expected to take it, in which they were advised about how to set up a dental practice in a new place. In other words, what, what would be the business end of being a dentist? And the professor literally advised them, find out which is the biggest church in town, where the most influential people go, go there, because it will help you make good business connections. Well, that wouldn't be right, would it? That wouldn't be the right reason to go. Maybe somebody's running for political office, and they decide that they will attend... Maybe they attend several different churches around because they just want to make a, a, a presence, you know, uh, you know, press some hands, as they say, and, and make a political statement and advantage. We've had some of that here in the past, actually. Uh, what about that? Well, all of that is to please someone other than to please God, and none of it works. Paul spoke to this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, for, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be the servant of Christ. Do you see it? 
He understood that some people might do what they're doing just for the sake of other men. But he said, we ought to be trying to please God. If I'm doing what I'm doing to please others, God is not really being properly honored. And so one of the wrong motives that make my worship useless to me and I come away unchanged is that I'm trying to please someone other than God. Maybe another bad motive is that we do what we do only out of dreaded obligation. You know, it's a pretty nice day out there and the days are going to get nicer. I'm just sure of it. The days are going to get nicer. And on a nice day like today, you know, you could be out playing golf. You could be out on the lake fishing. You could be having that sort of fun. Uh, but I have to go to church. You know, I'd like to be out on the lake. But I have to go to church. Uh, with that attitude, uh, you might as well go golfing. You might as well go fishing. Because with that kind of attitude, again, it's not coming from the heart. And God will not be pleased. And you will end up having no benefit from the exercise of worship whatsoever. If you're only coming out of this sense of dreaded obligation. King David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And our question to you this morning is, Could you describe yourself in that same way? Could you say, I'm glad, man, it's a beautiful Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee and we have a wonderful blessing to be able to gather together to worship God. Nobody interfering or or trying to stop us from the practice of our religion. This is a good thing. Are you glad when you have the chance to worship God? It's a necessary attitude. If you don't have it, very likely you're going to leave here an unchanged person. Maybe someone else does what they do. And it's a bad motive. We're talking about bad motives here. Someone else does what they do to avoid negative feedback from other people. And so this is the kind of person who would say, if I don't go, uh, at least relatively often, if I don't go, you know what's going to happen? Now, I'm going to predict, and I'm sure my prediction will be right, if I don't go with some regularity, some of the other people are going to start calling me, checking up on me. And I don't like that. That's a hassle. I don't like to be hassled like that. And so to avoid them checking up on me, I'm just going to go, at least with some regularity, so that that won't happen. And of course, you know, if you if you lay out too much, then maybe even the elders will get involved. And I really don't want to deal with them. I want to, I want to avoid that at all costs. And then I'm also aware that if I don't go with some consistency, they might even withdraw themselves from me. And I sure don't want that to happen. You know, all of that's true. Well, all of that that we just described is true. People will call. The elders will call. And it might lead even to a church disciplinary action if it gets bad enough. All of that's true. But it's because we're told to do so. We are assigned this duty. In Galatians chapter 1, or chapter 6 verse 1, Galatians 6 verse 1, brother, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you to be tempted. Uh, so, in reality, we ought to be grateful when someone cares enough about us to check up on us if we're missing services, if we're absent from our responsibilities of worship and participating in the things that the church is doing. If we're not doing our part, we should be grateful that others care enough about us to, to see to us and check up on us. And you know that business about ultimately maybe even have to withdraw ourselves from someone? 
In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning verse 14, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You know, there you see it. This is why we do what we do. This is why we pursue people in an effort to get them to be faithful to the Lord is because we count them as a brother and we love them and we're not going to just let them slip away and not, and not say anything about it. Right? That, that, that is the fact of the matter. But some people might be coming not to please God, but just because they don't want to go through all of that. They want to avoid all of that sort of negative feedback from others. Maybe a wrong motive could be that we just come out of thoughtless habit. You know, we do things sometimes just out of habit and not really thinking what we're doing as we do it. Uh, I, I remember years ago, Cindy had to uh, renew her driver's license. And without thinking, when she filled in to renew her driver's license, she wrote down her maiden name instead of her married name. Just out of habit, just an old, old habit that crept back, you know. Uh, had to jump through some hoops to get that fixed, right? So, But that's what happens sometimes when we do things out of habit without thinking. I think it's possible that we could worship that way uh, w- without thinking. Now, I, I, I want to I talk about this word habit just briefly. I think we ought to be in the habit of being here every time the doors are open. That's a great habit to be in. So I'm not, I'm not diminishing that habit. When I use the word habit here, I have in mind just going through motions without even thinking about it. Without even thinking about what we're doing. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth, and they honoreth me with their lips, but, he says, their heart is far from me. Just going through the motions. Wouldn't you think that that's what Jesus described there? They're just going through the motions. And I want to tell you that that is not effective to any spiritual, positive spiritual result if we're just doing out of thoughtless habit. So, I want to suggest to you that you could, you could go to church and go home and be a completely unchanged person. A lot of it might be because of motive. The reason you're here and what you're doing is not proper. This has got to be heartfelt service to God. And if you're not serving Him from the heart, then you're not getting the job done. Let me suggest to you, too, in, in, in addition, not in contradiction, but in addition to what we just said, one of the reasons you could leave unchanged is because you are not taking heed how you hear. I hope you recognize that expression from the very words of our Lord and Master Jesus. In Luke 18, 8, he said, Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. The New American Standard Version says, Take heed how you listen. And so that is really important. If you don't listen correctly, then you won't benefit and be changed by what you hear. What are some of the wrong ways? Some of the wrong ways to listen to what's being taught and preached. Well, it may be that you're not listening with a view toward personal application. Uh, We study and preach when we come together But this is not just some sort of interesting philosophical or theological discussion. We're just not talking about grand ideas here. What we're talking about is what we need to do to please God. This should touch us deeply and provoke us to make the needed changes to do the things that God wants us to be doing. And so, 
If you're not listening with a view toward making personal applications of the things you hear, it's probably not going to do you any good. I've always been impressed, I'm sure you have been too, in Acts chapter 8, when the evangelist Philip was teaching the Ethiopian eunuch, it says in Acts 8, beginning verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached to him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Look at that last expression. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So admirable of this fellow that he immediately saw the connection. Here's what the Word of God teaches. This is what I need to do. What does hinder me to be baptized? Uh, again, that's such an important attitude. And we wonder about you. We wonder about me. Are we listening uh, to the Word of God with a view toward personal application? Another failure of listening is only being focused on how the lesson might apply to someone else. I heard a story years ago about this fellow who after every service, he would go out the door, he'd shake the preacher's hand, and his comment, consistently, his comment was, good lesson, preacher, they really needed that one. And he was always talking about how everybody else in attendance needed what the preacher was preaching. Well, one wintry morning, it was weather very bad, and only the preacher and that guy got to services that morning, but they decided to go ahead and hold a service, the two of them, and so the preacher thought, this is my chance. And he jumped on that fellow with both feet. I mean, he was, he was pounding away at the things that this guy directly needed. And as they were about to leave, the fellow shook his hand and said, good lesson, preacher. It's just a shame those other people weren't here to hear that. They really needed it. He still didn't get it. He didn't get the point. He wasn't making uh, the application to himself. He was focused on how everything else might apply to another person or other people. Uh, that, of course, is not going to get the job done. And you can't imagine that a person like that is going to be changed by what he hears. Jesus described such a person. You know this text in Matthew 7, verse 3, beginning. He said, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We've talked plenty of times in the past about what a graphic picture that is. Uh, exaggeration for emphasis to be sure. But you just imagine that there are plenty of people who are like that. They, they want to see how everything applies to someone else, but it doesn't apply to me. I want to tell you, when we're studying the Word of God, the first application is me. We all need to look at it that way. How does this apply to me? Not so much how does it apply to everybody else. Me first, right? How does it apply to me? I'll tell you another failure in listening is refusing to listen if it contradicts preconceived notions. I've got to say that unfortunately there are plenty of people who have their minds all made up already. And they completely turn off if something is mentioned that challenges what they already believe, they're just not going to listen to that. If it's not what I already believe, forget it. I'm not listening. That won't work. Uh, Jesus gave a classic example of that sort of thing. The very, his very enemies uh, were described here. In Matthew 13, beginning verse 15, This people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear. With their eyes they have closed. 
and, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. These people had shut him off. And because they had shut him off, they wouldn't turn. They wouldn't learn and repent. And thus they couldn't be blessed. And that it describes, I think, way too many people in the religious world today. Let it never be said of us that we refuse to listen if somehow or another, somehow or another, something that is said contradicts what we already believe. Let us be constantly seeking for truth. So, you could have wrong motive. You could fail to listen as you should. Let me suggest to you that ultimately, bottom line, the way, the reason why a person could come to church and go back home and be a completely unchanged person is because that person was self-satisfied before they ever even darkened the door. Look with me one last time at the text that we read earlier from Luke chapter 18 about the Pharisee and the publican. Read the first part. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Stop there. He has thus described himself, right? Would you agree with me that that is the description of a person who's completely satisfied with himself as he is? He's fully self-satisfied. He doesn't, he doesn't see a need for anything. In fact, it's, it's in, impressive here when you think, they, no, notice, they went there to pray. There's nothing in that prayer of the publican that asks, for, or of the Pharisee rather, there's nothing in that prayer of the Pharisee that asks for anything. He doesn't think he needs anything. He is completely satisfied with himself. Remember what Jesus said about being justified. That guy wasn't justified. When he went to his house, he was an unchanged person. Nothing had changed in his spiritual status. Not justified. Not changed. What about us? Is it possible that this could happen to us? That we could go to church, engage in religious activities, worship, but come away completely unchanged spiritually? I think the answer is an obvious yes. Because of either wrong motive, failure to listen and apply the lessons, or maybe just because we're not even seeking to change. We're just satisfied with ourselves. What about you this morning? So we're going to leave here in a few minutes, Lord willing. And uh, how will you leave? Will you leave a completely unchanged person? Maybe you're a Christian, and some of the things that we've talked about this morning, you recognize uh, really... Touch pretty close to home. But you just brush that aside. Forget about it. Don't care. And you leave here. You're, you're a Christian already, but you're not the Christian you know you ought to be, but you're not going to do anything about that. and You're unchanged. Don't let that happen. If you're a Christian, but you realize you're not right with God, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If you've never obeyed the simple gospel plan of salvation, we would certainly urge you to take those steps. If you understand your need to obey the, the steps that bring you into Christ, forgiven of past sins, hope of going to heaven and eternity, those steps being here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If you're ready to do that, we'd be anxious to assist you. Let us know how we can help while we stand and sing this song.